This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. As fly fishers, we know that the most precious commodity we have are the fish. We care about preserving and protecting them because our sport depends on it, but it's more than a utilitarian concern. We feel a responsibility to be good stewards of our environment for the well-being of people everywhere. So we were concerned to find out about a critical problem with wild salmon on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. It turns out that wild salmon are leaving rivers in Scotland and the rest of the UK and not returning. Despite speculation, no one knows the definitive reason why. If this trend continues, salmon will become an endangered species in our lifetime. No matter where you live, and we have listeners in Germany and New Zealand and Australia. In fact, the other day I just saw someone sign up from South Korea. I don't wow. know if there's streams in South Korea or not. Yeah. Uh, and perhaps other countries as well. This problem could also show up one day in our watersheds. Actually, it's showing up already in different ways. So it's worth finding out more about the problem, what's being done to solve it, and how we can help. So today we're going to talk with someone on the front lines who is working to understand and solve the problem, and that is Mark Billsby. He's the CEO of the Atlantic Salmon Trust, located in Edinburgh, Scotland. Mark has over 20 years' experience as a fisheries biologist, and more recently as a fishery manager for one of the premier Scottish salmon fisheries, uh, before joining the Atlantic Salmon Trust in mid-2018. Uh, Mark's main role is the management of the Atlantic Salmon Trust, uh, this UK-based charity to conserve and restore salmon and sea trout, and we've invited him to our podcast today to tell us about the Missing Salmon Project. Uh, Mark, welcome. It's great to have you on Two Guys in a River. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for the invite to speak to you all. So I had a brother who did PhD work at University of Aberdeen, and and uh, that's not too far from where you live, is it? No, I'm I'm living um, about 25 miles west of Aberdeen on the banks of the River Dee um, oh, that goes yeah. through the heart of Scotland. It's one of our best salmon rivers around. You know, my brother fished that. Is that the river that runs right through Balmoral, right by Balmoral Castle? Uh, very much so. Yeah, that's in the upper waters, and it's just beautiful fly fishing country up here. Uh, he had a great experience. He fished with a, well, a ghillie at Balmoral Castle. A friend of his made the connection, so uh, uh, that's terrific. Well, well, Mark, for our listeners who haven't visited your website, could you give us an overview of the problem and uh, what, in essence, is at the heart of the Missing Salmon Project? What we do know is that in the early 1970s, there were around... Eight, or 10, 8 to 10 million salmon swimming in the whole of the North Atlantic. Today, total figures closer to 3 or 4 million. Wow. And we've just seen the numbers go down. Uh, and it's been a relentless trend. And as you said earlier, if we don't do something, uh, these animals are going to become an endangered species in our lifetime. As the Atlantic Salmon Trust, just don't want to watch that happen. So in partnership with over 40 organizations now, we've picked up the challenge to find out what's causing this decline, find out what, where the salmon are going missing, what's killing them, prioritize these causes, and then create and implement a plan to reverse the trend. 
didn't you say on your website that what would the what were the statistics you said for every hundred salmon that leave Scotland's rivers for the sea, how many return? These days, it's it's less than five, less than five percent of fish come back. Wow. But if you go back to the nineteen sixties, seventies, that was near forty or you know at the higher end of the estimates to twenty five. So wow. at the lower end, so a lot more fish used to go come back to the sea. Wow, that is devastating. So when did the realization that only five salmon return for every hundred smolt that leave, when did that really hit the radar of the scientific community in a, in a really big way? And what, what should the rate be? The rate, the rate should be around the 25 to 40. We never know what's going to be the case in these when a river's absolutely pristine and uh, the sea's absolutely pristine but we know that the rivers in scotland are capable of 25 to 40 percent of the fish are capable of coming back um when did when did we first realize this i think it's been creeping up on us over the last few years as we've seen one of these step changes in fewer fish coming back and it's not just in the uk it's right across the whole of the atlantic and we seem to be getting more and more poor years and fewer good years. Hmm. Now, when we talk about a smolt, I'm assuming we're referring to what a young salmon, maybe around two years old, that that migrates to the sea for the first time. Just for our listeners who that, haven't are unfamiliar with this. Yeah, absolutely. They spent the first couple of years uh, living in fresh water. They then, when they're about five to six inches long. Uh, decide to, they're ready, their bodies are ready to transform and go out to sea. So they go from being a freshwater fish to a marine fish as they go down the rivers. So when they hit the coast, they're ready, ready for their ocean journey. To give you an idea of the distances they travel, for our fish that spend one winter at sea, they'll go from Scotland and go up to the Norwegian coast uh, and feed there for a year before coming back. And, and that's what we call our grills. But our multi-seawinter salmon actually go north as well, like the grills. But then, then they head to your side of the pond, and they're feeding as far west as the west coast of Greenland wow, and the wow. coast of Canada. And then they come back. Um, so this, they are a huge ocean navigator, and somewhere along the way, it's going wrong. Huh. Now, you mentioned uh, that the usual suspects in regards to... Uh kind of what, what the culprits might be. What are, some of the, what are some of those suspects? What do you think might be some of the contributing causes? And I know that's, that's the point of the project, is to try to figure that out. But what do you think, what do you suspect might be the cause? There are more theories than you can shake a stick at. So looking at the top ones that we, we think are out there at the moment, you've got predators in freshwater, in the estuaries, and in, on the high seas. You've got habitat loss uh, on land and how that's impacting on the rivers. Climate change. Climate change is impacting the fish, whether it's a spawning time as they fry and par in the fresh water. Um, also how they make great down to sea and then when they're out to sea again. You're changing climates, it's changing the food, it's changing the temperature regime. And also, lastly, we'd say high seas fisheries. Boy, that seems so complex that also seems complex just to try to identify just let's say what's happening out on the high seas when the the trust was thinking okay 
all the problems are at sea. We've seen the survival of fish go down, all the problems at sea. Has anyone else had a look at this? Has, are there any examples of other species where they've been brought back from the brink? And on our side of the Atlantic, well, on both sides of the Atlantic, cod, our cod stocks have been decimated over the years. And in the North Sea, the cod stocks have been turned around um, through management, and it's through management interventions. And what they did was um, the scientists collated all of the existing evidence uh, that was impacting on cod, separated the good information from the bad information, and then prioritised the impacts so they knew what was causing the main issues. And it's akin to triaging or patients when they come in to a casualty unit in a hospital. You take the, you know, the person who's not breathing, you need to deal with them first, down to the person who's got a splinter in the hand, um, you deal with them last. So the more serious the problem and the more that you need to do to save it, those are the ones you prioritise. Wow. Again, we're talking with Mark Billsby. He's the CEO of the uh, uh, Atlantic Salmon Trust, and he's working on the Missing Salmon Project. Uh, Mark, what are some of the things that you're, you're actually going to do? In other words, the, what's the study going to look like? Are you going to be you know, tagging fish? or uh, I guess, how are you collecting data? What's the plan? Well, there's two, two strands to the project at the moment. Um, the first one is because we've seen that the, the use for cod has worked and, you know, the population's improving. It's not out of the woods yet, but it's showing mm. good signs of recovery. Good. It's to form these likely suspects for Atlantic salmon and split down the life cycle of Atlantic salmon and work out what's happening in each of those and prioritise those. And, and that will give us our own likely suspects framework. Because of the urgency, we know that we've got gaps in our knowledge. So we're looking at doing a major tracking program in the Murray Firth, which is a large bay on the north northeast coast of Scotland, where about 30% of the United Kingdom's stocks of salmon flow into like big rivers like the Spey and the Conan and the Ness, Deverin, all flow in to the Murray Firth, produce and the smolts go out to sea from there. So we're going to track quite a large number of salmon three years to follow them as they go down the go down the rivers and out to sea. And we'll follow them for the first up to about 60 miles offshore. Many of our listeners are in the United States. What are some of the things that just the average Joe and Jane Flyfisher should really take from your study? What should we be paying attention to as it relates to this project? I think the, the problems that, that we're highlighting and bringing together these different impacts, they're the same impacts. So we need to work together. We, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. And we need to bring experience from all around the Atlantic to help us restore our fish stocks. Because if we, if, if we lose them, not only do we lose one of the most marvellous, well-adapted animals in Scotland and the UK, we also lose all the cultural and heritage, the cultural heritage that associated with them. The gillies, you're talking about the gillie at Balmoral. If we don't have salmon, we we don't have those gillies. If there's, right. if there's no fish, yeah. then there's no one's going to employ them to go and, and fish an empty river. So there's people's whole way of life uh, is geared up around these fish. And take, talking about the D, there's about 
500 jobs involved in the fishery here and as well as the conservation value we lose those those fish we'll, lo we'll lose those jobs and it's the schools and the rural villages that all suffer hmm. well i hope that you get a lot of cooperation how's that been so far with some of the other international scientists or agencies are are uh, do you sense that they're willing to work together with you on this yeah, it's it's very much it, it's all hands on deck at the moment because we're seeing that uh, people acknowledge that the salmon are going down, and one of the things about salmon is it's the equivalent of a canary in the coal mine. You know, miners you get canary down to make sure the air was good. Huh. Yeah, Sat, wow. If you've got good healthy populations of salmon, it tells you that your rivers are in good condition. It tells you your seas are in good condition. So they're starting to work together. We've got over 40 organizations supporting us. Quite a lot of them are funding the work that we're doing, but most of them are putting their resources so where they're holding information, putting it into this likely suspect framework. And I have to say, it's, it's really encouraging uh, seeing how they're all coming together. And I remain optimistic for the future of Salmon. That's great. So how can we help? Uh, I notice that there is. Uh, I notice that there's a crowdfunding page, which we will put in our show notes. I think Steve and I are just going to go on record here and say that we're going to support this yeah, on that crowdfunding page. Absolutely, yeah, we definitely will. Uh, we believe in this. We believe yeah. in this project. We believe in the overall mission of the project, as well as uh, being part of the larger conservation effort across the world. I think these are such critical, critical moments and critical times. So in addition to, to going to that crowdfunding page and, and donating, what do you need most? We, we need support. We need, we need to avoid apathy. We need people to get involved. If they're involved in fishery organizations, wherever they are around the Atlantic, and to encourage those organizations to get behind this project. Ask the questions of your politicians. How are you helping the Missing Salmon Project? How are you getting involved? What can you bring to the party? Um, because this is a collective job. Um, and we're, we're wanting to work, work in partnership with people. We don't have a monopoly on good ideas. So we need to get a real movement behind us. And then, then we can start looking after salmon properly in wow. the round instead of in a piecemeal way that is really great so where are what's the amount of money that you need to launch this project and where are you in terms of how how much of it is funded already to date okay uh, i can't do a conversion rate uh, no moment, that's okay so everything's in pounds <laughs> sterling um it's just over a million pounds sterling at the moment that we need to raise for the project uh, and we're currently around £800,000. So we're getting there. We're about 80% of the way there. But we do need people's support just to be able to get it to that next stage. Well, that's terrific, Mark. We really appreciate you uh, being willing to come on our podcast today. And, and we appreciate the work you're doing. And uh, who knows, maybe someday in the future our, our paths will cross. Love to extend a uh, welcome to you all uh, fly fishing over here for the salmon. It's, um, it's a beautiful country, and uh, it'd be an honor to show you around. Well, thanks so much, Mark. You have a great day. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Mark. Bye for now. 
All right, before we continue our podcast, Dave, I just have to say, you smell pretty good today. What's the deal with that? Oh, my. You are way too close to me, man. Move <laughs> over. Oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Well, it sounds like another plug for our sponsor, doesn't it? It uh, does. We are sponsored by Dr. Squatch Soap. Uh, we never thought we'd be... Uh, uh, be a shill for a right soap. singing the virtues of, of soap but wow this stuff is really really good it is it's dr squatch natural outdoor soap and you can find it at drsquatch.com now what is your favorite bar of soap or maybe i should say what's your current bar of soap well i'm kind of hooked on the pine tar i like that but i'm i'm trying the the new spearmint basil i'm i'm actually uh, eager for my pine tar bar to uh uh, to, to get so small that I can't use it anymore. It's taken a while. The stuff lasts. But, yeah, I've, I've got the spearmint uh, basil on deck, and I'm, I'm kind of interested in that. And then there's a new sage that I'd like to try as well. well I'm using bay rum right now. Um, I try oh, yeah, to, that's good I, stuff. I buy lots of pine tar, but I use it so quickly that I'm, I'm interspersing it with other bars of soap, and I'm finding I like all these other bars of soap. So... One of the great things about Dr. Squatch is that it's it's soap, it's natural soap, it's made in the USA, and it's for men. It doesn't come off the same factory line that your your partner's soap comes out of, right? It's like real soap for guys who love the outdoors. Yeah, that, that's right. It's it's great stuff, and it's uh, uh, doesn't have the harsh chemicals, but the smells good. My wife's commented on it. She says, "Wow, that that really smells good." So. Uh, just because it's a manly smell doesn't mean it smells like, uh, you know, like skunk. Yes, yeah, st- <laughs> right, uh, like skunk. Uh, it's great stuff. We think you'll like it. And uh, just by punching in uh, two guys, the number two and then G U Y S, two guys in the promo code area, uh, you'll get 20% off. Yep, do it now. Go to drsquatch.com. And now, back to our podcast. Steve, I, I was overwhelmed with how few smolt returned. That is just crazy. Man, that really is stunning. And I I really am thankful for Mark and what he's doing. And yeah, when we said we're going to, uh, we're going to make a contribution that they're not idle words. I I made a commitment a long time ago, you know, as, as a teacher, as a pastor, whatever I'm doing, I'm not going to ask people to do something I'm unwilling to do. So we, we will make a contribution. I'm, I'm really grateful that, that uh, I think for the scope of the project too, that they're bringing together people like 40 organizations are are partnering with them, and that that's what's encouraging because it is a worldwide problem, isn't it? It really is. And so, if you are listening to this podcast, you can find uh, really a blog post entry on our website, and it's it's this episode, which is the Missing Salmon Project. And there will be a link there where you can give directly to the crowdfunding page. Right. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you do it. Just go right. do it, even if it's a small amount. I mean, you can. Yeah. You know, that, the small amounts up. all add up. It really and, does. And I really, that, I, just as I've gotten older, I realize that all the good things that I've enjoyed, they're at risk in many yeah, ways. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So check out our website, or you can even Google the Atlantic Salmon Trust or the Missing Salmon Project, and I'm sure you'll find what you need to find. All right. Here's a comment by Brian on our podcast on fly fishing on a family vacation. Uh, this is part of our great stuff from our listeners feature, which we do every time. And this is what Brian said. He said, I'm around trout water so seldom that when we go to southwest Colorado to see my in-laws, it is very difficult to find time to fish while also not being a bad guest. What I finally figured out is this. 
instead of panicking and trying to find a couple of hours here and there and usually being disappointed with the results, I plan on a solid day of fishing. I spend a good bit of time before hand splitting and stacking firewood for my father-in-law, helping with projects around the house, spending time with my wife and others on the trip, just being part of the family. But I make sure they know that I will be on the Big Blue Creek chasing brookies for a good day, and that may be the only fishing I do in that trip. I make sure, especially a fishing solo, that they know where I will be and roughly what time I plan on being back. The quality of my unrushed fishing is so much better than when I used to scramble for every bit of time on the water I could find. That is just pure wisdom. Now, there's a guy who gets it, doesn't he? Well, I, he I think it's a does. great approach, Brian. It's just a win for everybody. Didn't you experience that when you were at Clydehurst Christian Ranch a week or so ago? Yeah, when I was out there earlier. Yeah, I, I thought a lot about that. I thought about our podcast. And, yeah, I realized there are some times that, that I'll get to fly fish, but there are other times where I need to be there for the family. And I wanted to be there for the family, so it wasn't uh, – wasn't difficult. It's, it wasn't like, oh boy, now I have to go for a four wheel right, ride right, with right, my right, wife. Right. That was great. We had a blast. But yeah, I, I really had to pay attention to uh, boundaries. And yeah, I like Brian's approach. Well, that's going to do it for today. What are some other threats and dangers to the health of trout and salmon or other fish in your area of the world? Again, we know that uh, that some of you are listening from around the world. And we'd love to have you comment on this podcast link at twoguysinariver.com. What challenges are your fisheries facing when it comes to the health of fish? Again, thank you for referring our podcast to your TU chapter or Fly Fishing Club, your friends. We mention this every time. It's, it's how we grow. It's how we've grown. And we're just very, very grateful for your trust. Please continue to do that. We'd also love your ideas for future and upcoming podcast episodes. You can reach out to us on Instant Messenger or Instagram or Twitter or simply email us at stevedavid, twoguysinariver.com. One more thing, if you haven't yet purchased our fly fishing book called The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists, Life is Short, Catch More Fish, you can find the book on Amazon. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Oh,